So it just was one of those things where your hustle mentality has to kick in. Welcome to Affected By, a weekly podcast that explores the way COVID-19 is affecting our professional lives, how we cope, pivot, and make it work at work. I'm Tamara. And I'm Pavel. And we are live event producers who, like millions of others in our industry, have been impacted by the current pandemic. So we decided to make the most of our downtime and talk to people from different industries to find out how they are transforming their work experience, finding inspiration, and figuring out how to keep working and stay sane in the process. It has been a minute since we've talked to y'all. We have been busy. And you're going to hear more about that and in an upcoming episode. But today, um, we're going to talk about music, which is one of the <laughs> topics that I had been looking forward to the most ever since we started uh, this true. podcast. And yeah, and, and as luck would have it, um, earlier uh, this month, or actually last month, I was asked by the German-American Chamber of Commerce to host a virtual panel for one of their virtual events as you know everybody else they have gone virtual too and it was a panel entitled the future of music entertainment and culture and uh, i got to talk to two industry experts ursula sage from patreon and dick huey the founder of toolshed which is a digital strategy and music license acquisition consultancy and so today we have a little bit of a split episode and you'll hear from my panel first. And then after that really insightful, interesting discussion, I talked to Jess Frenchy, who's a singer-songwriter from Philly, and it's a bit of a case study. She talks about um, putting those ideas into practice. Quite coincidentally, we didn't plan that, but um, it ended up being a really, really cool discussion as well. And on top of all that, make sure you listen to the very end of the episode so you can hear more songs yes. from Just Frenchie's new EP. It's called It's All Love. It's out on all the digital platforms. And uh, it's the follow-up to, to her album from last year entitled 327. And it is great. And you know what else is great is leaving us a review. <laughs> Leave us a review and a five-star rating. And um, if you haven't already, please, please subscribe to us. It really helps us, helps keeps us going and makes us happy. <laughs> exactly. It does. And without much further ado, let's jump right into the panel discussion. Yeah, let's do it. Ursula is a product leader based in the San Francisco Bay Area with over 10 years of startup experience and two successful IPOs under her belt. Today, she leads the fan and patron experience teams at Patreon, a platform that makes it easy for creators to offer monthly memberships to their fans in exchange for exclusive content, community access, and insight into their creative process. Thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks, Paul. And I'm waiting in the digital wings is Dick Huey. He's the founder of Toolshed, a digital strategy and music license acquisition consultancy. At Toolshed, he created digital campaigns for hundreds of critically acclaimed music artists and dozens of the world's top independent record labels. Thanks for joining us, Dick. Sorry, I tried to make it short. And I want to learn a little bit more about your companies, but also address one of the probably biggest drivers of innovation in the recent couple of uh, months that has propelled us probably much more into the future than we could have imagined, COVID-19. So Ursula, I would be curious to learn how um, you've been impacted by this professionally and how you've been able with your company and service to make it work at work and also work for other people. Yeah, there was uh, thinking, reflecting back on earlier in the year, when um, news of the virus and the epidemic turning into a pandemic started spreading, there was a lot of uncertainty around how um, the creative space would uh, cope or react to it. Um, Being a platform that relies heavily on the financial support of fans towards their creators and artists that they love, it was unclear how the financial uncertainty that came with the pandemic would influence their decisions around who to support monetarily. And um, what we've seen is an incredible growth um, in terms of the number of creators that rush to the platform. Uh, you know, the saying like necessity, it, what, is it, what is the saying? Necessity is the mother of innovation. Like exactly, yeah. the change kind of it was this forcing function that um, 
force uh, creators to uh, look for alternative um, uh, means of earning, particularly the ones that we're relying heavily on live events and we're getting ready for the summer's live events. Um, and so a lot of them came to the platform and started launching and, um, and the fans came with them. That was the one thing that we weren't sure would happen, but there was a overwhelming support among the fans. And um, what's even more incredible is that like six, seven months down the road, we're seeing those numbers like stay strong. So um, that's one of the things that um, we didn't anticipate, but we've been observing in terms of how uh, the industry reacted to the pandemic. Dig, um, I'm curious to learn how, how has your experience been and how have you been navigating your clients through this time and, and what insights have you learned over the last couple of, of months? I think it's fascinating that uh, for all the difficulty that uh, COVID has brought to us, I think it's fascinating that it's also advanced industries in the way that it has. I mean, for instance, it's, it's ironic to me that live streaming, um, which was a pretty disconnected experience, I think, prior to COVID, um, has now uh, become known as more of a platform for getting to know your audience, for engaging directly with them, for taking questions, for asking for what songs they want to have play, for um, you know moderation during shows, and that's something you can't do in a live show. So that to me, to me, that's a huge irony that that um, you know a technical medium is the thing that actually brought fan and artists closer together in some respects. I kind of want to touch a little um, more on the aspect of monetization and royalties in increasingly virtual spaces, now seeing that a live performance is no longer restricted to the audience in the room, but potentially a global audience. What implications does that have for record labels, publishers, and artists alike? And um, is, is a change needed? Well, what's interesting right now, I, I think particularly in the live streaming space, we started talking about that. I'll talk about it a little bit more. I love that the live streaming space, you know, sort of started out as this free space where you were seeing artists doing, you know, broadcast or um, webcasting from the living room using an iPhone camera. So that was really fun for, for people for quite some time, I think for a couple months at least. Um, those of us who were watching them were really excited to see, you know, an A.S. Mitchell playing in our living room or whatever it was. Then you sort of had this second phase, which was, okay, but well, if you're going to play in your living room, at least at least try to sell music along with what you're doing because you saw these, these live streams happening, but not much of an effort to, you know, include the fact that they had a new record out in the marketplace or to try to um, sell bundles uh, along with the webcast that they were doing. So that was sort of the second phase. And during that phase, you saw these companies, private platforms, you know, some of which had started before COVID and many of which had not started before COVID, uh, all of a sudden um, looking for artists to fill their, their content pipeline, uh, pipelines for their platforms. Um, and one of the ways they did that is by offering better ways to sell merchandise. And now we've come around to what I think is the particularly exciting part, which is you have not only the integration of merchandise sales and sometimes subscription sales even, but you also have high production value. So you have shows that are happening in clubs, not with any audience or anything, but they're happening in clubs, multi-camera shoot, fog machines. It, it looks like you're at a real concert. So that's the, the I guess, the sort of current third stage that we're in. And, and as the production values have increased, the prices have gone up, mm -hmm. uh, which is a relief for, um, for artists. And, you know, there's opportunities for creativity, I'm sure. And it's that kind of creativity that I think is just so inspiring to see right now. Yeah. And live streaming is where a lot of the money is right now. So, uh, you know, we can talk about the... Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would love to. I would love to touch a little more on that in in a second. So, but let's let's stay with the creativity for a second. And I'm curious to hear from you, Ursula. Have you? Uh, we've we've already started talking about some um, some new emerging formats. So, uh, I, I, can you basically can you basically confirm some of the 
the processes that Dick has just outlined in terms of content creation, more, more professionalization, more diverse content, um, and how artists have been using it to support themselves. Yeah, uh, Dick said something really interesting earlier on around um, how the live streaming component brings in this new layer of collaboration, like connection with the audience. And we're seeing creators actually leverage that in their creative process. So what happens in a live stream, they might ask a question, they might get input from the audience and, and, and build on that and help have that actually influence the whatever project or song they might be writing or, or things like that. So there's definitely this really interesting dynamic that's developing uh, as a result of this um, different, I wouldn't say it's better than a live event because you know, if you've ever been to a live event, there's so much about that energy, uh, but it's it's just a different dynamic that's developing, that's uh, helping the community, the fan base, the, the audience of the creator be participants in the creative process. And talking about the audience engagement, I mean, obviously one way that artists make money is by having having audience support, financial audience support via subscription. So can you give us a little insight into into whether or not audience support has gone up or down potentially during COVID because of, you know, people not taking in any income or um, or any other trends that you may have seen like from an from an audience perspective? Yeah, so um, on our end, what we saw particularly earlier on in the year around March was um, a higher rate of what we call pledging, which means a, uh, a patron um, paying a subscription fee uh, at about an, a 25% average daily new patron growth. So compared to pre-COVID times, uh, and that was true across um, key regions like the US, um, the UK, Germany, Italy, and Australia. Um, so yeah, more fans were supporting more creators at a higher rate than, than before. Um, there's also like that counter effect. So, you know, some, some people were financially impacted by, by COVID. So there's also like, there was a pledge deletion rate that was slightly higher than mm -hmm. previous uh, trends, but not enough to, to compensate for that growth that we had seen. Um, a lot of that growth was driven particularly by the music sector. I think that goes back oh, to seeing the like the live events uh, earn like revenue kind of evaporate for, for a period of time. Uh, as of right now, Patreon as a platform doesn't, uh, it, it, there's no discovery element. So what's happening is it's the artists themselves, the creators themselves who are bringing their own audience. So if they have a larger audience, obviously you'll see um, them, you know, being relatively more successful on the platform. Um, so, It'll, yeah, it'll depend on the creator. So it's it's definitely not an even distribution, and we don't um, we don't do anything to um, to kind of control that in a way. Yeah, I think what is very interesting here to hear is that people already need to have a fan base, so that Patreon is not necessarily just there to also build your brand and your fan base. Because one of the questions that I always have is, do we still need record labels? Do we still need publishers? Do we still need social media, for instance, right? So, so but what I'm seeing is that all of these things combined uh, make up that ecosystem. And so, uh, Dick, I kind of want to touch on that a little more, if you could talk about your experience with this. So do we still need all these big machines in the backgrounds to be a creative or are the artists pretty much by themselves now? Well, let's break it down into pieces. Let's break it down into pieces. Let's talk about social media. Social media, you know, allows you to really quickly aggregate an audience around you, which is great. The, the challenge of social media to date is really been how do you take that audience once you've aggregated it and do something with it directly directly in the interface, you know, that, you, that you're using, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or, or Snapchat or whatever it is. What you're starting to see emerge now are these um, controlled communities, things like OnlyFans, for instance, where you're assembling your super fans around you and you are um, getting to know them as an artist. And uh, there are probably some artists watching this who are thinking, you know, that's the last thing that I want to do, but it's happening, it's happening. Uh, Cardi B is doing it. Um, you know, she's got millions of fans to deal with. And 
you know, the exchange for that is a, is a subscription price. Um, social media now is becoming more of a push towards a community, whether it's a community on Patreon or whether it's a community on, on Maestro or OnlyFans or wherever it is, but a place where you can get to know your fans. And a lot of artists are offering this on tech that they've built, like Kristen Hirsch with Strange Angels, which is something she's had, she's had for 13 years, 14 years. Um, or Neil Young's Neil Young Archive, same thing. So um, not he hasn't had it as long. Point is, um, you're seeing these these big platforms that are now becoming promotion to push you somewhere else. That I think is a really positive development. And as far as the as far as the um, the gatekeepers, if you will, the the major brands. I mean, I will always feel that independent brands are important for music especially with so much music being released. I mean, you have, you have 40 to 50,000 new releases coming out weekly, um, you know, 50 or 60 million releases in the marketplace. So there has to be a way to filter through that. And if you're connected to a brand that doesn't have a lot of brand value, um, at least filter value, like for instance, if I'm, if I'm signed to Universal, I'm probably not signed to Universal because I want association with the universal brand so people know what kind of music I am. If I'm if I'm associated with beggars, well that's different. Or with Matador, that's different. I might want to be associated with Universal because I'm writing a particular kind of music and I know that that company is going to give me uh, the marketing push that I'm going to want to have behind that, you know, to to accomplish my goals. But so yes, in answer to your question, I think there's still room for a lot of the traditional gatekeepers. The roles are changing, but there there's still room for a lot of people in music. I mean, they're still able to provide that push so you can actually get to the audience that you then can later engage with, with your content, depending on whatever the situation requires. Which doesn't mean you can't do it yourself too. Which, I mean, there, there are more opportunities than ever before to do it yourself, which is also tremendously exciting. But you know, if you're going to do it yourself, depending on who you are as an artist, if you're a, um, you know, an artist from the nineties or something, then, you, you know, be ready to, to aggregate your audience around you. Be ready to go find your audience because your audience isn't necessarily going to know. I mean, they've moved on in their lives. So you got to go find them again. And they might not necessarily be on OnlyFans, but, uh, they but might not necessarily be on OnlyFans either. So um, before we open uh, up the debate, and I know we're getting some very interesting uh, questions that I can't wait to ask you, um, I want to attempt a little, you know, look into the crystal ball and uh, do a quick round robin of some of the growth areas in the B2C, B2B field. Like, what do you think... Um, are you know some of the upcoming emerging formats um, looking that probably COVID will be with us for a while in the midterm and then even after COVID in the long term what where do you think the content is going to go and what other ancillary revenue structures and business areas will open up whichever part of the question you want to answer Ursula let's start with you. Um, sure. And uh, as part of that, maybe I'll, uh, I'll answer some of the questions that might, um, that might have come up. I noticed there's a lot of folks who are in the events logistics space, so they might, have, they might be getting a bit of anxiety in hearing about this shift into this online world. And I, um, I just want to iterate, like, there's nothing that can replace that live event experience. If you've been at a concert, the energy you feel from the audience and from the artists, nothing can replace that. Um, I've, um, I'm, a, I'm a patron of the musician Jacob Collier, who's like a four-time Grammy Award winner. It's been so amazing to join his um, live streams every month. And he like, it's a delight to hear him talk in a very accessible way about like har uh, harmonies and stuff like that. But I am still bummed that I didn't get to go to the concert in April. And I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so one thing to, to think about it is, this this um, kind of forced transition that's happening in this space um, is not to replace the live events or other other forms of um, of you know musical creativity and connecting with the audience. It augments it. So what's going to be interesting to see is once we're out of this period, how will the two converge? Like how will the two coexist and work? 
with each other. So as an example, one thing that we are looking at is also how to introduce membership into a live event space. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how the two will coexist and just uh, create more opportunities for creators down the road. Uh, Dick, <laughs> your take on some growth opportunities. So after, I guess, 25 years of, of, of being in the music industry or going, getting close to 30 at this point, <laughs> the thing that I think has been, that is that I think is so interesting is it's just the growth of multiple revenue streams and, and the importance of multiple revenue streams. So if you're an artist and you're watching um, or you're a manager, neighboring rights, for instance, and um, your, your, your income, whatever your aggregate income is, it is composed of a lot of little revenue streams and it needs to be put, uh, composed of a lot of, of little revenue streams. That means that <clears throat> not only are you making your music available on, on, in on-demand services, on-demand services are, are not the answer by themselves for a lot of different artists. You need to also make sure that you are collecting your international performance. Uh, you need to make sure that you are, you need to make sure that you have a, a physical sales game, you know, particularly if you're a mid-level artist. If you've got a history and you're somebody like Gillian Welch or, uh, you know, who is now re-releasing record by record, each of her records over the history of her career, you're seeing more and more artists who are doing that. That's an important piece of your of your revenue. Your metadata. Um, you know, if you're a manager or you're an artist and you don't have your metadata act together, so metadata is the information that surrounds the descriptive information that surrounds music. You know, if if you're all about getting the music done, but you haven't really paid attention to who played on it and who what what your percentage splits are, um, you know, from the recordings that you did, um, you're not only uh, cutting yourself off at the kneecaps because interfaces are going voice, they will continue to go voice. And the only way a voice interface works, if you ask it a question, it has to have the answer in its database. And the way it gets that information in its database is um, through, through products like Jaxta, which is one of the companies that I work with, um, that's collecting official metadata, but it, the information gets there in the first place by the artist or manager sitting down and making sure that their metadata is complete. It's super important. Um, and it will be very important for the stream of mechanical, mechanicals uh, revenue stream that's coming online now through the MLC, which is which is another revenue stream on the on the publisher side. So all of these pieces have to be up and running. And I hear from from musicians who say that's too much. Like it's too much for me. I can't figure that all out. I don't want to deal with all that. You, you got to deal with it. And the good thing is there are so many resources available to you right now. Uh, Emily White has written a great book about collecting revenue streams. She's not the only one, but look her up and and get her book. Or um, uh, here's one other suggestion: if you're a musician right now and you're interested in your in your brand and in growing your brand, you might like you might not like to think about it in those terms, but chances are there's a branding class out on the internet right now. And if you go, if you look around, I teach one of them, for instance, and I know for a fact that if you go to the to the company where I teach and you say I can't afford to pay eight hundred dollars for this class, you can take it for free, but you gotta ask. You gotta ask. And, and I think we're already getting into the territory of, of answering one of the questions uh, from the audience. So um, what would you say is the most important tech innovation in the music space that, that came around during COVID or, um, you know, possibly with the digital revolution, everything we'll be seeing? Um, Go for it. I'm not sure there's anything like net new, any new technology that really emerged, but um, there's, there's, um, some that are being leveraged in this space that maybe weren't before. Um, even like Dick mentioned Maestra Livestream platform uh, earlier, they um, they actually were mostly focused on sports up until a few months ago. And then they pivoted to, because they saw this opportunity come up in the music space. So they pivoted to the music space uh, and partnered with Pandora. So it's more about leveraging existing technology in, in the space, um, nothing net new yet, uh, at least for now. Yeah, and 
I mean, maybe to kind of expand on that idea, leveraging some of the existing technology. So what I have seen come up is a lot of avatars uh, or, you know, partnerships with, for instance, video games and AR and mixed reality kind of solutions that have spiked uh, over the last couple of months and, you know, some very famous examples. But um yeah, that's leveraging existing technology, but really, I think, transporting it into, into you know, more user-friendly environments and more popularity now, which probably opens up a whole other question about rights and, and then who owns the actual image of the artist. But, <laughs> uh, but since, Dick, you are so keen to actually answer the other audience question, let's just segue right into this. So what can every one of us do and I'm, I'm guessing this is coming from you know somebody from the live events uh, industry like myself to make sure that clubs festivals and artists are still around when the current crisis is over sure so um uh yeah i definitely want to answer that one and, and just highlight what you said a second ago you know the the travis scott thing for instance right. that, that really i mean that that's the innovation that everybody saw um on um Fortnite. Thank you, Fortnite. <laughs> I was thinking minefield, not minefield. Fortnite. Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, got the two mixed up. Anyway, um, so this idea of, of doing something to make sure clubs, festivals, and artists are still around is so is so important because yeah, certainly in the U.S. right now, I don't know about the rest of the world, but we're experiencing you know essentially a K-shaped recovery where you have people who are able to work from like me. People who are able to work from home more or less doing okay. Um, I won't speak for everybody, um, but um, you know, the upper part of the K and then you have the entire industry really that supported our lives. You have the musicians, you have the clubs, you have the festivals. And I think it's, I would say that anybody that's in music, it's, it's inclement on you. Like it, it is part of your, in my opinion, it's part of your responsibility to pay attention to what's going on in music right now, to support artists. I mean, if I look at my Patreon contributions, they doubled since, since COVID started. And I mean, you know, probably smaller than others, but you know, it's, it's, it's a meaningful amount per month. Take the opportunity to, um, you know, maybe each week, think about an artist that you've worked with and go find out what they're doing right now during COVID. Chances are they're trying things, exploring things. They might just not be on your radar. But um, if you can buy physical product right now, if you can experiment with a subscription platform at the lowest level, this is this is vitally important right now. Participate in a live stream, even if you don't see it afterwards. Um, you know, if you really want to, go get a stream ripping software and rip it so you can watch it later, whatever, but pay for it up front. Um, and, on, and on the clubs and festivals side of things, again, I don't know what's happening overseas, or overseas but Neva, uh, Save Our Stages, just ran a, a big initiative here in the States to raise money. They raised over a million dollars um, to distribute amongst clubs. I don't really know what the distribution metric was for that, but you know, people contribute. If you're, in a, if you're on the upper part of the K for the recovery, pitch in a little bit now's the time if there ever was a time to pitch in and 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 play around experiment you know in the name of curiosity or your business or whatever else with some of the subscription programs that you're seeing come out for clubs mm -hmm. Le Poisson Rouge here in New York City has just announced uh, $19.99 per month subscription so you'll be able to see artists coming through that venue with a nice multi-camera shoot uh, playing there and you know if you live around new york city you know that club so help that you can do these things um and you can take the opportunity you know each week to say this week i'm going to explore what whoever it is you know martin sexton is up to or what pavement is up to or what whoever it might be and i'm going to try to give a little bit i'm going to go see their webcast i'm going to spend a little bit of money i'm going to sign up for the re-releases they're putting out or the new music that they're that they're buying because um, it couldn't be it couldn't be more important or inclement on us on those of us in music to support. Yeah, I think that that probably I mean that resonates a lot with me, and I think just um, from the the distinction that obviously clubs and festivals don't have the luxury that that they own any of the material that that is being presented and and attendance and 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 
on-site sales, whether it is you know hospitality or or something else, where there is is part of their revenue stream. So so I think especially for us people in the live event industry, like thinking how we can utilize these spaces going uh, moving forward. For instance, just because we have virtual live events doesn't mean that they might not possibly need a soundstage. And why not actively seek out that club or that that venue as an interesting space? Because I know I'm getting tired of you know some of the more uh, low tech kind of videos and live engagements that I'm seeing or virtual live engagements, I should say, and also. So LED is not the be all and solve all. Like we're seeing a lot of award shows that take place in front of, you know, these LED boxes. That's fun and nice. But I do think that maybe having a nice live stream from your favorite club could be a very interesting way of supporting these venues. And there's one just tiny, one tiny other thing. Don't forget, it's not just the bands. Two are right. Two managers are out of work right now and have been out of work for six to seven months. Yeah. So when you support those kinds of initiatives, you're potentially supporting other people in the music industry need work too. What do you think we'll be seeing a year from now in the music and live events industry? Or what would you like to see, Ursula? Well, I can speak to one of the initiatives that I'm working on, uh, which okay. is very much focused on, on community. Um, so we've up to now really built a strong membership platform um, and as I mentioned before, I've really let creators bring their audience onto the platform. Uh, what we're, we're seeing happen organically is um, these communities are developing and are thriving. So it's not just about the creator, it's also about the connection between patrons. So we're working on uh, facilitating that and helping that thrive and grow on, on Patreon. Okay, and the concluding statements from you, Dick. <laughs> I think in the next, within the next years, you know that that's pretty short time frame. But um, voice, I would say, is going to be the technology that in the next year is going to take massive steps forward. It took massive steps forward in the last year. It's it's clearly being focused on by all of the major DSPs. I think um, I think car interfaces will improve, and I think. Um, in-home interfaces will improve and it's going to be driven by data so get your data act together if you have <laughs> right right and I think uh, yeah that was one of the key takeaways like really understand all your revenue streams diversify as much as possible and really dive deep into your data and understand everything that you can that you can monetize well with that being said I really want to thank you all for joining us I had um you know, a lot of fun listening to you. I, I think I, I emerged from this a lot smarter than I was before. And this was the panel that I hosted for the German American Chambers of Commerce earlier last month. And um, I want to thank all the panelists again. And um, the music that is currently playing is just Frenchy, so give it a listen before we jump right back into the second half of our episode. Just love yourself, eh? And don't worry about nothing. Let me tell you something. If you don't do nothing, no, just make sure that you love yourself, eh? Just love yourself, eh? Just love yourself, eh? Just love yourself, eh? Just love yourself, hey. Love yourself, hey. If you ain't already known yourself, love is the best love. Today we're talking to singer-songwriter Jess Frenchie from Philly. She's released a couple of EPs and some singles. And so just to get started, do you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself? How long have you been making music? How'd you get started? I've been writing for a long time. Like I, I started writing when I was about like seven, maybe seven years old. And uh, my my family, everybody does music basically. You know, everybody's musically inclined. My mom's a singer. My dad's a guitarist. He used to play for like Cool in the Gang. Uh, and my, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, that's my, awesome. Yeah, my, yeah, my brother's an artist as well. Like, I, I kind of, yeah, everybody just does music. So I kind of was born into it. Um, as far as me being an artist, like, you know, what I'm doing now, I started, um, I came out around 2012. That's when I kind of mustered up the confidence to do it because I was, I'm very like shy. 
like it's like one of those things where I'm I have a big personality when I'm around people I'm comfortable with but outside of that I'm like kind of like to myself so um I just kind of mustered up the confidence to you know start chasing you know after being an artist in 2012 and then um you know I got into a group then I got out of a group (laughs) and then I took a break for a while just to figure out like you know how I like the correct way to you know chase this dream and everything like that and uh it just kind of just all fell into place and I'm like kind of pushing harder now than I was back then but uh, I've been singing since honestly like since I came out of the womb writing since about seven years old and uh just like 2012 I started really pushing with this and it's been a uh, you know a lot ever since Amazing. I mean, you have a beautiful voice, so I'm not surprised you've been Thank singing you. that long. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you do you so you write your own music? Yes, ma'am. And yes, do you ma'am. write for others as well or just for yourself? Um <clears throat> I have I wrote I wrote a few songs for others or they'll ask me like to, you know, come and write a course. I'm trying to like do placements and everything now, I'm trying to really pursue that because uh even though I write, I was more so like, I really want to be an artist. I really want to be an artist. And, um, you know, writing was just like, uh, it's a personal thing. But now I'm trying to seek more placements. Uh, I have, you know, I wrote for my brother a few times. I wrote for, you know, of course, for an artist by the name of Chumudi before. And, um, you know, just getting on, doing different features and everything like that. So, like, now I'm trying to branch out into, like, writing for, you know, different artists and everything. So, yeah. Very cool. Diversifying. Yes. <laughs> it seems to me that a lot of musicians or most musicians make a substantial portion of their income from touring, playing live. Uh, is that something that you did before the pandemic started? Yes. Um, I, and I love performing, you know, like uh, traveling and performing and everything like that. And, you know, when you're, you know, an artist, I did, you know, have a, a side gig because I teach dance as well. But, um, you know, being able to perform and, you know, get revenue from performing was definitely a blessing. But, you know, with COVID hitting and everything like that, it just like completely stopped. And I felt like I was definitely on a roll because I had my first show coming into this year was in Boston. And then right after that, I had a show in Boston and New York within the same month. And right after that, I had another one in New York. And then everything just shut down. People were... You know, and it was other shows that I had lined up to do. And it just was like, oh, my gosh, like, how am I going to do this? You know, losing your job because I I was teaching at a school. And, you know, once they shut the schools down, you know, that's that's basically my my income. So, like, uh, it's affecting me. Like, it affected me. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just, like, trying to find the right words to say. It's just, like, it affected me. It yeah. definitely affected my pockets. Yeah. Yeah, I missed performing. <laughs> that just made me yeah. really think, like, I'm gonna miss being able to travel and see people or perform in front of people and make money from it. So. Yeah, we we feel you really hard on that. Um, yeah, <laughs> the travel and, and the work. So yes, it's 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 a rough transition. So, what did you? What were your first thoughts? I, I mean, had did you think about what what were you going to do now? You know, just even financially. Yes, and to be. Uh, honest with you I honestly thought that this was going to blow over just like because we've not exactly this but you know we've been through stuff like this before where you know it's uh, something a virus hits and then you never are really affected by it you hear it going on around you but life still goes on regular you know now it's just like whoa people that you know are being affected people that you know are dying from it you know your work is affected now you really can't work and now you are wearing masks and you can't see your family members and friends and everything like that so what went through my mind is I thought it was going to blow over but once you know everything really set in like oh no you're not going to get your job back oh no you can't travel and perform it was just like um you know being from Philly it's it's really a, a a city where you have to hustle so it just was one of those things where your hustle mentality has to kick in. It's just like, how am I going to, you know, make money? How am I going to perform? And that this is what I want to do now. How can I do this in, in a pandemic? You know, because I don't want to give up on my dream. I don't want to, 
you know, just let, you know, what I want to do fall by the wayside. So I just kicked into like hustle mode. Like, what can I do? I did ended up doing an online performance and making money that way, you know, doing features, but, you know, I happened to record um, from home and or going to a studio where it's only a few people allowed. So I just was like, all right, how, how can I do this? How can I be successful in, at such a tragic time? Yeah, yeah. And so... So it sounds like you figured it out. You figured out a way through yes. and that, that hustle yeah. gave you, gave you the impetus to move forward. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, one of the things we usually ask our guests at the end is to tell us something positive that happened um, during the pandemic, even though it, it's hard to think of positive, but when you're talking about a pandemic, but certainly some positive things have come out of it. Um, but we, we also know that you released your latest album, it's all love in September. So I'm going to guess that was a positive. <laughs> yes, it was a positive. Yes, it definitely. Because <laughs> I didn't, th- I wanted to work on a project um, before the pandemic hit. So once it hit, it just was like, okay, what am I going to do? Because at first the studios were shut down. Like they weren't allowing anyone to come in. And all I had was, you know, my laptop and I have equipment now, but I didn't have equipment then. So it's just like, how do I, you know, release anything? How do I write? What am I going to do? And um, I feel like it, the pandemic was a blessing because it gave me time to, you know, sit and come up with a different strategy as far as moving forward as an artist. And um, for me sitting, I feel like it, it was it was great because now I'm stronger than I was before coming into this year, you know, than I was at the beginning of this year. Uh, I went and, you know, got my LLC, you know, I went and uh, found ways for me to, you know, make money. I uh, went and got my equipment and um, it just became more strategic in how I move and how I handled the pandemic. And I went and researched, educated myself on business and marketing and how to promote myself. You know, those things, you know, with the world being open, you're able to be dependent on other people. Now it's like when you have you and your small team and you or the people that's closest to you because you can't be around too many people, how do you move? How do you make that happen? And I just feel like um, I did the best way that I could. And that was the blessing in it. Um, also being able to sit, because I was going through writer's block, being able to sit and, you know, just deal myself spiritually and as a person to be able to write um, this project. I co-produced every song, you know, I not only wrote, but I co-produced every song on the, um, on the project. So I was able to meet with my friend and co-produce rather than just reaching out to producers or having them reach out to me. It was just like, now my, my juices are flowing. Let's sit down, let's create. And that's what helped me create the body of work that I did. So just being in this was, uh, as much as it was a tragedy, it was amazing, you know? That is, that is, that is amazing to hear it and great to hear. And we've heard that from several other people, especially in an artistic, artistic profession that it gave them time to really think and really build their business. Mm -hmm. Um, I I love hearing you talk about researching marketing and business, um, Mm -hmm. because I think, um, what the business folks were saying, um, when they were talking about it is that artists really need to take control of their own business and learn marketing and learn that stuff. How did you market yourself? Like, was it all purely social or what was your, your main ways of marketing yourself? Well, um, as far as <clears throat> before the project, the marketing was just mainly social because you can't really get up and get out and you know, physically see everybody because you, because you can't perform or anything like that. But um, it was more so just social driven. Uh, like I said, I did the online you know, performance. And uh, it was a few people that reached out me, re- reached out to me and I did like a Zoom performance as well. Um, when I started the project, uh, it just was all just creative where I rolled out the project to where they will market me in a different light because I was, this project is different from my last. So I just looked at it like, okay, I want to introduce myself in a different light. So we uh, linked up with uh, my very small team we, we took pictures, we did video. I worked on, um, I, I did a vlog, a mini vlog, which showed how I maneuvered through the pandemic in order for me to, you know, 
produced the product that I did. And I put that on on social week. Um, I think I did it uh, a few weeks out to promote the project because you should give yourself a little bit of time. But um, just uh, like linking with them and also like coming up with a, a strategy in order to push myself um, in a way to where the people can draw to me because nobody's really doing anything right now and everybody's on social. So it's just right. like the best thing to do for you right now is to be very, very active on social media, but you have to make sure what you're putting out is a great product that represents you in the best way possible. So that's just basically what I did. It's just all paying for ads, you know, um, uh, figuring out what type of playlist I could get on. Um, you know, when you pay for ads, just make sure you're um, uh, making sure that your music is going to different states that you know that your music usually isn't played in. Like uh, I didn't have a big fan base in, you know, LA. So when I pay for my ads, I made sure I put this much, this much, this amount on oh, LA and Atlanta or in or Florida. You know, I even was just like, you know, put Wisconsin on there. Nobody, <laughs> nobody really. It just was like, you know, I just wanted to get myself out there uh, the best way that I could. So that was just basically my strategy with it. Yeah, that's really. <clears throat> that's so smart. I feel like we need to take a lesson from you on <laughs> <laughs> on on marketing. Um, I want to go back to your Zoom performance and how you pulled that off. And how did you, like, how was that? Because you don't have that audience energy, which is, you know, really different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very different. It was, it's just like, because you, you know, you feed off of the audience. You love the energy. You love to be able to walk up to that fan and sing the words with them. But, um, I would say it's just kind of like equivalent to, excuse me, but, um, the NBA, like how they were in the bubble. You have the love. <laughs> you have a such a love for what you do. So you kind of lose yourself. Because like when I perform, even though there's people there and I connect with them, I'm performing because I love it at the end of the day. So even though I can't, you know, it's not tangible, I can't touch you, you know, see you, you know, sing with you right now. I still know that you're connecting with me and I want to give you the best experience possible. So I love my music. So I'm connected already. So when I'm, performing I'm just performing it as if you were there I'm putting myself there mentally so just to me it's just like uh, the illusion of a fan being there like even though it's <laughs> comments <laughs> and just emojis but <laughs> <laughs> you're playing but for the you, emojis <laughs> yes I'm like give me I'm like give me hand emojis right now you know, give me <laughs> you know but um that's just how you work it out you just put yourself there mentally you know you love what you do so you're going to treat it as if you know, even if nobody's in a room, I performed in rooms where there were, you know, very few, you know, audience. So to me, it's just like, shoot, it's like, it's basically like the same thing, but you know, it's just, they're watching from their phone or iPad or whatever. Yeah. 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 I love that. And I think, I think people really appreciate it and really need that, need that music and need that connection. And I know mm-hmm. Pavel and I both really miss seeing live music. <laughs> So you have released, you've released music before the pandemic um, mm-hmm. and then you released during. So what, were the, what was the main difference between releasing then and releasing now or after? Um, to be honest with you, releasing this time around was way better. You know, this time, because you can't do too much, there's less distraction. You know, not too much is getting in your way, you know, to where though, you know, last year, you know, I, yeah, no, I really said, yeah, 2019, I'm still working, you know, I still was working a job. So it's just like, I have to make my, you know, my music fit into my schedule to where though now it's my everything. So now I can just put a hundred percent of my focus on it and nurture it the way that I need to and handle things like marketing and everything the way that I need to. This time it just was a way smoother process. Of course, no matter what, it's always going to be little things that happen, but this time is no distractions. Like I'm in the house, just really uploading my project, you know, not having to worry about, oh, I have, uh, I have to go to work, you know, I, or I'm going to get in really late from doing this. And now it's just like, okay, I, I can hone in on this one thing and get it done. Yeah. 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 That, that's amazing. And that's definitely a theme that we've heard from, from people when they're creating um, so you mentioned before that you had some writer's block. Was yeah. that, 
Was that something that you had going into the pandemic or is it caused by the pandemic? I think it was just one of those things where I needed a recharge. Like sometimes you put out so much and you're putting out so much and it's just like, all right, now you're trying to pour from an empty cup. And um, I just felt like a pandemic being able to sit helped me get out of it. So I, how I got out of it was just basically um, I was on this app called Boise and on there is just like a whole bunch of creatives and people upload instrumentals and you can just freestyle over, you know, you got your AirPods and headphones in and you click whatever beat and you, you just freestyle over it. So how I got, and I got through it was just kind of freestyling more and just kind of being free with my more liquid with my words. And then I got back into my creative, you know, um, realm and was able to write again, you know, so I feel like it just was also, I'm just, I'm a spiritual person. So I just felt like it was a time for me to just really sit back and chill and God was just like, all right, relax for a second. Take in, you know, this, the moment that we're in right now, uh, mentally make sure that you're okay. And um, once you're all right and you're full again, then you can produce. So that, that's basically how it is. Yeah. That's, and I think that's good advice for any profession, whether, whether it's creative or not, is mm-hmm. that you have to, you have to be full as a person to be able to produce. Yeah, <laughs> it's just right. Reality, right? Because if you worn out, it's just like you're yeah. going to force it, and then it's not going to be exactly what you want it to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the things um, I've I've noticed um, just in the world as a fan and um, is is virtual concerts, like you mentioned, like with Zoom, but also uh, you know Thundercat played um, drive-ins. <laughs> Yes, uh, I yeah. love Thundercat. Yeah, Thundercat's <laughs> amazing. We saw him at the uh, in um, at the Rose Bowl in a drive-in setting. I have never seen him live. Yeah, he's great. He's, he's really he's great. Great live. It was kind of it's kind of weird though, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you're in your car and he's on the stage, and so it's a little bit different. Um, we've also yeah. seen um, like Flaming Lips did that concert where they put the people, the audience, were in bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to play, yeah. which is like really creative and interesting. So just wondering, like as an artist, like what do you think is going to happen like going forward, either for yourself or for artists in general, as far as either playing live virtually or figuring out some way to actually be in person? So like a really hard question because it's just like, it's the unknown. All you can do is just plan and pray for the best at this time. Um, they're talking about a third wave happening and, you know, concerts not being able to resume until, you know, 2022. Uh, and it's just like, you know, you're praying that, you know, maybe next year something can happen. I know they're still going to probably do uh, South by Southwest, but everything is more virtual. I know I am craving for, you know, that, that human interaction and um, being able to be in front of people. Uh, it may have to carry out you know, kind of with the drive-in performances. But I look at the drive-in performance kind of like a drive-in movie. Like, I feel like it's still pretty cool because you're still being able to be there in person. I'm hoping that something happens to where as though, um, now I want to say just blows over because people are sick, people are infected. But I'm praying that something happens to where though this virus subsides and, you know, we're able to, you know, live better than we did before. You know, yeah. and get back to, you know, um, I don't want to say regular, like I said, better and being able to be near each other, be around each other, feel each other's energy and everything like that. So I'm just honestly, it's just for me, a prayer that things will change and become better than what they are now. That's yeah. all I can really say. Yeah, I, I agreed. I mean, I can't I know I can't wait to see people in person and yes. hug, hug people and feel their energy. Um, yes, because I, I love hugging <laughs> I know. I, I feel like it's one of the things that we all miss, really, right? Is that mm-hmm. hugging. Um, yeah. So just to, to go back, I want to go back just a little bit to finance the financial situation because I think that's something that has affected all of us. We're, we're all really, really affected financially. Um, mm-hmm. I know I was and, and most people I know were. So as far as, you know, you were saying before that you were teaching dance um, as well as um, supporting yourself as an artist, where are you? Where are you now? Like, are you able to support yourself financially as an artist? Okay, well now it's a bit easier because the world is kind of 
semi-open. I, don't, I think that's what I could call it, semi-open. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm able to um, do, you know, features. And I'm, um, that helps me out a lot, like doing features and um, doing shoots. Like I just did a shoot last week. I just did two features two days ago. And I get, you know, I make money from that. So I feel like I've been able to push myself full time as an artist, which is what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do. So um yeah, um I just make my money that way, you know, just being an being an artist. And um I did, you know, file for unemployment and everything like that. It's a blessing. <laughs> it's a blessing. It's definitely a blessing because um it's helped me to, you know, move forward and everything like that and um be able to more so create myself as a more of a business. And I've I've still done like some online, you know, dance classes as well. So yeah, that's just how I support myself through this right now. That's amazing. I feel like I'm doing, I feel like I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing all right. And I think, or better than all right. And I would argue that teaching dance is still uh, being an artist. You're still, Mm -hmm. you're, you're teaching other people a different format of art, but I, I love to hear that. Um, that's really, that's really great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge and your art with us. Um, really appreciate it. Um, so, um, I want to ask you, where do you want people to find you on the socials? On the socials, you can find me. <laughs> you can find me on um, my favorite is Instagram. I can't like it's so hard to maneuver through all socials. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta get on Twitter today. But um, <laughs> on um Instagram, they can find me at Just Frenchie, J U S T F R E N C H I E. On Twitter, it's Just Frenchie with a one, you know, number one, and everything else is pretty much the same domain, Just Frenchie. Follow me on YouTube, everything. Just type in Jess Frenchie and you find me. <laughs> and you can also find Jess Frenchie and her new album, It's All Love, which is amazing. You should you should definitely listen to it on Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, Google Play, and I'm sure many other platforms. Yes, yes, all digital retailers. Whatever you're on, I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's that's perfect. Thank you. I mean, how do how do you feel about platforms that you know help monetize content such as Patreon or let's say OnlyFans or or whatever? Like, is that something that you have looked into, or where did you land for yourself in terms of using these to diversify your revenue stream? Yes, but yeah, more artists are going on there, and also Twitch. I heard some some artists are going right. on Twitch as well, and I want to look into that because someone actually I was on a you know an app called Clubhouse, and a lot of musicians are on there and they were like you should get your music you know on twitch as well and i'm like oh i'm thinking twitch is just for like gaming i'm like oh that's what i thought it was for and i'm like oh you can actually get on there yeah um make revenue as well like musically so but i think it's a brilliant thing you know helping artists you know not only make money but you know, distribute their music to different retail digital retailers because not everybody's on Apple Music, not everybody's on Spotify. Um, somebody may be on Amazon Music or Google Play. You know, so I think it's just a brilliant thing. I, I know some people use uh, SoundCloud, but you can actually monetize off um, SoundCloud mm-hmm. now as well because memory was more so free. So I just feel like artists educate yourselves, get on these uh, sites, and distribute your music. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. That's a perfect way, I think, to wrap up and it was this was awesome and really exciting I'm I I cannot tell you how happy it makes me to he- hear you and other artists say talk about how they use their time um during this time mm-hmm. to create something and and it and come yes. out better on the other end it's just it's just really really inspiring mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people can learn from that you know artists or not how much did you love Frenchie? I love her. I mean, but I have loved her <laughs> like since I first listened to her song and I was like, I need to have her on this podcast. So Yeah. I, I, you know what? I was just really, really inspired by her. Yeah. I mean, obviously the same for me. And um, I'm, I'm curious to to start our conversation about like what, what your takeaways are um, kind of from both interviews, uh, especially since you weren't there for the panel discussion, like what stood out to you? I had a couple of, uh, I had a couple takeaways. My biggest, one of my biggest takeaways was something that both Dick in the first part of the interview talked about and Frenchie talked about. 
And that was the need for artists to educate themselves in all aspects of their Mm -hmm. industry, not just the creative, but really understanding marketing and branding and and the critical importance of building multiple revenue streams. Uh, I mean, I think that's something that all, all creatives need to be cognizant enough, not just musicians, but actors and writers and podcasters. And mm-hmm. I mean, and to some extent, really everyone, right? I mean, I think that, you know, just as a person out there listening, you might not think that your quote unquote brand is important. Uh, yep. You know, you might not think it's important if you're a live event producer or an accountant or whatever, but, um, you know, just given where we are in the world now, not only with COVID, but just how industry is changing, that that is something we all need to think about. You know, you have to ask yourself that question. What am I? Who am I? What do I offer to my clients or to my company that sets me apart? I mean, what we really hear time and time again is that it was people with, multiple skill sets are the ones who are able to pivot uh, relatively quickly. I think that's a key takeaway, the the multiple skill sets that the future economy probably increasingly will rely on. And, oh, I wanted to mention, um, Dick talked about this book by Emily White. Um, That book is called how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams, mm-hmm. which I think the title says it all. Um, there is a link in the show notes if you want to pick that up. Pretty straightforward, yes. <laughs> Very straightforward. Oh, and you know, I liked what he said about the branding class. Um, right. Or, or just, you know, taking a class in general. And if you can't afford it, to ask. You know, to yeah. ask for a discount, ask to take it for free, ask to intern, like really, really take charge of educating yourself. I thought that was really good advice. That, that goes a long way also in terms of what we've been discussing, discovering with this podcast. I mean, just ask. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? People say no, but I mean, that's not the end of the world. So no, it's uh, not that bad. That, that's a really good advice, I think, for, for people in many, in many professions. Um, just asking for things <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and right? see where yeah. it takes you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing I thought that I was really interested in just because it seems to be such a theme in the people that we've spoken to, uh, was Ursula's take on the future of music and live events and how the live component and the virtual component are going to intersect in the future. And that right. is something we have heard from from numerous <laughs> guests. Jeremy talked yeah. about it right all the way back in episode one with live event production. Even Nicole talked about it when she was talking about teaching in episode Mm -hmm. seven, which was a little surprising to me. And then I was thinking about Jeanette in the retail episode, which was number six. Um, She's doing virtual fittings. She has a brick and mortar store, but because of COVID, she had to turn to virtual fittings. And, you know, it remains to be seen if that's something that continues after COVID, but that blending of the live and in-person and virtual, that that seems to be more than a trend to me. That is something that also came up with Frenchie, right? That yeah. it, obviously nothing can replace the feeling in the room and she likes performing for an audience and feeding off of that energy. But at the end of the day, what is at the heart of her passion is she wants to perform. She, she you know, wants to share her music, her passion with her fans. And while for a while that might not be on a physical stage, it's okay to also do it on a virtual stage and seek out, you know, that as a platform because at the end of the matter, at the end of the day, it comes down to this is what I like doing. I like doing it for my audience. There are increasing, there are more and more tools that that enhance and increase the audience experience, even in the virtual field, like something that Dick and and, and Ursula both have pointed yeah. out, and and it is nice to see that while this might not be, you know, the preferred way of performing at least it gives a stage to artists who want to perform and, and you know, kind of yeah. eases, eases that pain a little bit of not being able to, to be out and about. Yeah, totally. And, and I think like we're definitely in the time right now where we're not, I don't think any of us are doing our ideal. So right. we're trying to just make it work, right? And I think yeah. that's a good way to do it. No, and this is and this is what we've been hearing from many people. So, uh, and Frenchie said it. She's pushing harder now. She's focusing on just one thing, and yeah. that's what we've also heard. You know, from from our fashion people that, you know, 
A, they now have the time to fully focus and commit to their brand or to their passion projects and turn them into their main career. So I'm, I'm glad that we're kind of seeing this as a recurring theme. But also, as you said, that people who may not have traditionally considered doing stuff in a virtual space have now just started exploring what they could do. And I couldn't be more excited to see what, what happens further down the line and, and the shape that all these digital ventures are, are going to take. Yeah, me too. Um, and speaking of music and enjoying somebody's passion project, so if you're interested in music and supporting the music industry, especially if you work in the music industry, support artists, subscribe, buy their merch, pay for their live stream. It's absolutely vital right now. Um, yeah. yeah, that's an impor- a really important call to action, I think. Is to and I and I have to say as soon as I when I listened to that panel I'm not kidding I got online and I was like what artists do I listen to and I was like <laughs> I need to buy something and support them because yeah. um, that's how they that's how they can they can continue to do their work that we all love um, and for us you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at affectedbypod you can email us at affectedbypod at gmail.com. And we would love it if you would support us by telling a friend or a colleague about our show, if you'd subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. Exactly. And the last words of the episode, as (laughs) always, has one of our guests, Frenchie, and um, hear it in her own words, how you can support artists during this time. Stream, 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 streamers. Um, Is not even outside of streams. You know, if you like an artist, like help our engagement on social media because that helps our marketing as well. Like if you like something, like the comment, not only like it, comment. Like throw even if you don't have any much words to say, throw us some hearts, throw us some prayer hands, throw us some emojis, like really engage with us. Watch our stories, you know, like I said, share our stories. If you like it, our music and you want other people to know about us, you know, put someone on to our music, like put your friends on, you know, that's the best way you can help us. And like I said, streaming is a is a great thing because we're on these digital retailers, you know, those streams, you know, that's our income as well. You know, we make money from those streams. So stream our music, share our music, engage with us on social media. You know, we we love our supporters and can be more personable. So yeah. I just want you to love me.